They have a caravan of like 300 wagons long. My God. They are caravanning through Iowa and Nebraska and Wyoming. And Biddy was forced to pretty much walk the whole way. Oh like my the God. slaves weren't in the ca- uh. the carriages, so she's carrying her ba- her baby Harriet, her youngest uh. girl, and she was also responsible for setting up and breaking down camp and cooking the meals and herding oh, the cattle and sheep. At this point, slavery is illegal in California. But Smith was like, I'll be fine. I'll be in my Mormon neighborhood. Nobody's going to bother us. I can still keep my slaves. Nobody cares, right? And Charles and Elizabeth are both free blacks. And they're both talking to Biddy. And they're getting to know each other. And they're like, Biddy, you know, when you get to California, you should legally contest your slave status. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I am Sarah Gorski. I'm Sam Eggers. And I'm Chloe Skye. And today, ladies, I am bringing you Bridget Biddy Mason. Have you guys heard of her? Mm-mm. No, but that middle name Biddy is too good to... Well, it's to... not her middle name. It's her nickname. So people call her Biddy ah. Mason. It's a Biddy in quote marks. So Bridget is her name, but she went by Biddy a lot. Okay. Um, And she is a Los Angeles icon, which I had no idea. I hadn't heard of her. And then she popped up. And I guess I'll just jump in since you guys haven't heard. Chloe, you haven't heard of her either, right? No. All right. Well, let's go then. Bridget Biddy Mason was born on August 15th, 1818, probably they think around Hancock County, Georgia. And she is born into slavery. Um, so like most of our broads who are born into slavery, her family history is kind of a mystery because nothing was documented. It's always distressing to find that. Um, supposedly she had multiple masters in South Carolina, Georgia, and Mississippi. She spent, uh, much of her childhood working on John Smithson's plantation in South Carolina. And in 1836... John Smithson gives 18-year-old Biddy to his cousin, Robert Marion Smith, as a wedding gift. So Biddy tended to Rebecca and all the children, and she had become and continued to become an expert nurse and midwife. Mm. She also had to work in the fields and take care of the livestock and all all this shit. And during this time, she also gives birth to three daughters, uh, Ellen, Anne, and Harriet, it is thought that probably Robert was the father of some or all of her kids, but that was kind mm-hmm. of, that wasn't listed as a fact. It was a possibility. And, you know, it's like, as with all these broads, you don't want, I don't want to like disrespect her memory, but we can't, we have to acknowledge that probably that was the truth. Yeah. Um, and at this point, the Smiths drink the Kool-Aid and they convert to Mormonism. Oh. Which was like the new hot thing. You know, and this is in like the eight, mid 18, so around 1850. So in 1847, Robert's like, mm, I feel like I want to make some better money than I'm making now. And I want to seek my fortune out west. So he picks up his whole household, including Biddy and all his slaves. And he moves west to the new promised land of Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm. 
So they, you know, didn't have moving trucks in the, in 1850. So they're literally caravanning. They have a caravan of like 300 wagons long because oh they were God. going with multiple. They, there was like a bunch of families all at once that were like, let's take our fortunes out west and go to the Mormon Holy Land. This is Oregon Trail. It kind of <laughs> is. Like, really, except not Oregon. Yeah, Utah, Utah Trail. Yeah. And so they, they are caravanning through Iowa and Nebraska and Wyoming. And they finally arrive at Holiday Cottonwood in Salt Lake Valley. And Biddy, at this point, she's 30 years old. And she was forced to pretty much walk the whole oh. way. Oh like my the God. slaves weren't in the, ca- uh. the carriages. So she's carrying her, ba- her baby, Harriet, her youngest <sighs> girl. And she was also responsible for setting up and breaking down camp and cooking the meals and herding oh, the cattle and sheep my God. and serving. And then, of course, caring for her own three children, one of whom is this baby that she's literally carrying all Jeez. the way to Salt Lake City. But she does it because she's a fucking badass run. The fact that the fact that these caravans made the slaves do all the work Ugh. is yeah. not something that you hear about when you hear about the westward expansion. Nope, they leave that little tidbit out. Yeah, you're like, oh, it was so hard for them. All yeah. these people who, the white people who decided to go out west, but like, mm-hmm. they weren't doing the hardest part. No. Well, not the I mean, pe- rich people from the south. Right. So the Smiths are in Salt Lake City for about two years, and then Robert's like restless again. He's like, I gotta, I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep moving. So he picks up the family again, and they move to California, specifically San Bernardino. Mm. Uh, and he claims a patch of land along the Santa Ana River, and he gets into cattle cattle farming, cattle ranching, which is huge business at this period of time. This is like what everybody does to make their fortunes. And he actually uh, becomes fairly successful. Like his cattle business goes fairly well. And so here's the little uh, background about the law at this point. So at this point... Uh, which is, what is the year? So it's like 1849. Slavery is illegal in California. There was a new California constitution that stated that, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, unless for the punishment of crimes, Mm. (laughs) shall ever be tolerated in this state. But Smith was like, I'll be fine. I'll be in my Mormon neighborhood. Nobody's going to bother us. I can still keep my slaves. Nobody cares, right? So he kind of ignores the letter of the law as he moves to California. He's like, that's okay. We're going to we're gonna do it anyway. But during this trip to California, they encounter a lot of other people en route and kind of like join up. As they do with all these car- caravans, you end up traveling with people for some, some distances of time. And during this trip, Biddy meets Charles and Elizabeth Rowan. And Charles and Elizabeth are both free blacks. And they're both talking to Biddy and they're getting to know each other. And they're like, Biddy, you know, when you get to California, you should legally contest your slave status and you should get your freedom because you get to California. So they kind of like plant the seed, but she's kind of, but you know, but he's like, "Eh, I don't know. I get, this is my life. This is my kids are here. Everybody's here. And, And then once they get to California, she becomes friends with a whole lot of other free blacks in the area, including Robert and Minnie Owens, who also are like, hey, Biddy. You know, slavery is not legal here. And there's still, you know, the, the life in San Bernardino is decent. Things still seem to be going okay. But in December of 1855, 
the tensions between the North and the South start to get much more intense. So here we are, like, coming up on the Civil War, right? And things are starting to get get crazy in the U.S. And Robert starts to get increasingly nervous that his slaves are going to be forcibly taken from him. And apparently he also has a huge falling out with some of the Mormon leaders in San Bernardino. And then he, and then he falls on hard times. Wah, wah. Mm. Poor Robert and his fortunes turn. And he, he takes Biddy and all her daughters and all his other slaves and he puts them, apparently he puts them in this isolated canyon in Santa Monica. What? To, to, to like kind of like hide them away a little bit more. Wow. And what he had planned to do was take them to Texas. He was planning to move back to Texas. And he was hoping to take advantage of the statute that stated that adults who voluntarily return to a slave state would again be enslaved. Mm-hmm. So there's some like some weird racist loopholes, obviously, still in the system. They're still working out. So at this point, Biddy has a ton of... She's super well-liked. She's everybody's midwife and everybody's friend. Like, she's she's a nurse. She's like, you know, everyone loves her. She's, she's like this awesome woman who's helped them all have easier childbirths and gotten, you know, gotten over illnesses and all this stuff. And so Biddy has a ton of friends now in California and they are like, fuck, no, they're not taking Biddy back to Texas. Fuck mm-hmm. no. So Elizabeth Rowan and her husband, they send word to the Los Angeles County Sheriff, Frank DeWitt, that Biddy and the other slaves need help. And DeWitt shows up with a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of wealthy black businessmen, including Robert, Elizabeth's hu- husband. They ride to the camp where Biddy is being kept and they serve Smith a writ of habeas corpus. Yeah. So he was ordered to appear in court for, quote, persuading and enticing and seducing persons of color to go out of the state of California. And then to keep them safe, Biddy and her family and the other, all the other slaves are taken to the city jail until the trial takes place because they're worried that he's just going to flee and take them and go. Mm-hmm. And so in January 1856, all eyes are on this court case because this is kind of like it's become kind of like big news all around the area. And the, the U.S. district judge is named Benjamin Hayes. And during as the trial begins, um, uh, you know, our, our like poor Robert, poor Robert Smith, he claims that Biddy and the 14 other people that he had kept in the canyon were, quote, members of his family who voluntarily offered to go with him to Texas. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, at the time, though, so despite like California being a non-slave state, there's still a bunch of these racist ass laws. And one of them is that black people could not testify against white people in court. So mm. Biddy is oh not God. allowed. Okay. So so Biddy is not allowed to appear like in in court against Robert. Mm-hmm. But but Benjamin Hayes is like that's some bullshit. And so he invites Biddy to come speak to him in his chambers. Oh wow! And and he interviews her. And during the interview, Biddy says, "Quote." I have always done what I have been told to do. I always feared this trip to Texas since I first heard of it. Mr. Smith told me I would be just as free in Texas as here, end quote. And Judge Hayes then is like, he, Judge Hayes proceeds to explain to her that because of the state law, her minor children couldn't go with her. Uh, they, could, they were not allowed to go to some place where they could become enslaved. And when Biddy hears this, she says, quote, I do not want to be separated from my children and do not in such case which wish to go to Texas, end quote. So Judge Hayes has, has got the truth and Biddy's like, no, fuck no, I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to leave my family. So after three days, Benjamin Hayes rules 
quote, all of the said persons of color are entitled to their freedom and are free forever. And he hoped that they would become settled and go to work for themselves in peace and without fear. Nice. So they win the case. It's a huge, awesome. it's a huge court win, not just for Biddy, but like in general, it's a huge mm-hmm. win and a huge, um, you know, from, from there on out, I think it's really like well known that you can't really fight this law. That this is it. This is it now. Law of the land. So after becoming free, Biddy is free and all her kids are free officially. And they move to L.A. and they move in with Robert and Elizabeth Owens, who they were already friends with. They're like, hey, just come stay with us while you get on your feet because you're, you're a brand new free person and there's a lot that's got to happen now. And so they move in and her daughter at the time, and this was in kind of all the sources I found, but, but um, Biddy's, one of Biddy's daughters was dating Robert and Elizabeth, one of Robert and Elizabeth's sons, Charles. Um, and so they do end up getting married, Charles and uh, Ellen, her daughter. And through the Owens family, Biddy meets Dr. John Strother Griffin, who he's a white native Southerner and he's super super impressed with Biddy's nursing skills. And he hires her. He's like, come and work for me. You got to work for me as a nurse and a midwife. I'll pay you two fifty a day, which was pretty good back then. <laughs> um, and she, she starts working for him. She eventually delivers, she ends up delivering hundreds and hundreds of babies. She also, Biddy through her life has been a helper and just this like, shining star of a person she often gives her services for free to those unable to pay and she gains huge popularity in la at the time la had only two thousand people (laughs) and less less than 20 of whom were black so not you know only two thousand people and 20 black people and everybody in la basically everybody knows her and they know her as aunt biddy um during this time around 1857 she her middle daughter Anne dies probably of smallpox oh. which is sad there wasn't much more about that but Biddy lives pretty frugally and she's good at what she does and she's finally getting paid since she's not a slave anymore and she saves up her money and soon she becomes like fully financially independent and after working for 10 years she saved $250 uh, and then the Owens and, and Dr. Griffin, they were involved in real estate and they were like, Biddy, Biddy, you know, a good form of investment is to buy land. And so she takes her $250 that she's saved and she buys this plot of land in the middle of what is now DTLA, downtown LA. Uh, and there was like a quote in a, in, I think it's the LA Times actually, because it's that old. That's uh, quote, in 1866, a Mr. Buffin sold two lots on the outskirts of the tiny Pueblo of Los Angeles <laughs> to a 48-year-old woman named Biddy Mason for $250. The <laughs> land was located on rural Spring Street, roughly between 3rd and 4th, an area then just recently plotted on a map of the plains. And Biddy's daughter, Ellen, recalled that there was a ditch of water on the place and a willow fence running around the plot. <laughs> so she nice. buys this little ha- this property on Spring Street, which we all know where that is. On, <laughs> at least on this podcast, we all live in L.A., so we all know downtown L.A. Um, and her little wood house, uh, it wasn't just her family home. It also became... They, they call it, quote, a refuge for stranded and needy, needy settlers. So whenever people needed help and when they needed a place to stay to get back on their feet, she, like, invited people to stay there. She apparently also ran a daycare on the property for working women. Uh, and she allowed civic meetings to be held there. 
1872, a group of black Angelinos founded the first African Methodist Episcopal Church at the house. Uh, and the church met at her home until they were able to move into their own building. Is this house like a historical site? Can I? Can we go there? I don't think in its original form it still exists, but I think there's like plaques. I think there's like, this is the land that like, mm. I, you know, it's not still this old wood frame house or whatever, but it is right. recognized. You're skipping ahead always, Chloe. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> skipping ahead to the end. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good it's a good question. Plus the plus the listeners get tired of hearing me rant and rant and rant for so long. So it's it's a good it's a good no. break up. Break up the <laughs> Um, so she she keeps doing great work. She's still working her ass off and she actually opens her own midwife business and the money keeps rolling in, but she doesn't hog it. She does the opposite because she's just this brilliant like star of a human being. So she establishes a daycare center for working parents. She helps establish the first elementary school for black children in Los Angeles. Ooh. She creates an account at a store where families who lost their homes in flooding could get supplies. Oh my gosh. And then she founds the church along with her son-in-law, Charles. She founds the first Methodist Episcopal church. And, she, and then she ended up donating the land on which the church was built that when they actually got their own building. She also helped to found a traveler's aid center. Um, and because she was so kind and loving and giving, everybody called her Auntie Mason or Grandma Mason. Um, there was a quote in the LA Times, again, that said that she was a frequent visitor to the jail, speaking a word of cheer and leaving some token and a prayerful hope with every prisoner. In the slums of the city, she was known as Grandma Mason, and she did much active service towards uplifting the worst element in Los Angeles. She paid taxes and all expenses on church property to hold it for her people. And during the flood, she gave an open order to a little grocery store, which was located on 4th and Spring Streets. All families made homeless by the flood were to be supplied with groceries, while Biddy Mason cheerfully paid the bill. Oh. So she's super, I just love, I just love when I hear how charitable people are. It makes my heart explode. Yeah, um, that's just so much selflessness. She was, and she was a shrewd, so she wasn't just like loving and giving and working hard. She also was a shrewd businesswoman. She, business was booming and downtown LA started to explode with shops and boarding houses. So in 1884, she sells the north half of the property for $1,500. And on the other half, she builds a two-story brick building and she rented the first floor to commercial interests. And then she lived up on an, an apartment on the second floor. Um, and she also, that, that same year, she sold a lot she had purchased on Olive Street for $2,800, which she only had paid three seventy-five dollars for. Nice. Like so six years prior. Profit. Yeah, like six years prior. Huge profit for her. This is a lot of money back then, too, by the mm -hmm. way. I should, have done the, I should have done the math. I'll do the, I do the math at the end a little bit. <laughs> and she helped her family and her kids and her in-laws all buy property around the city. Um, in 1885, she deeds a portion of her remaining Spring Street property to her grandsons, apparently for the sum of love and affection and $10. Oh. <laughs> she, like, gives them the deed and char only charges 10 bucks for it. Um, and she always signed her business with, she had this like flourished X because even though she's so successful at this point, she had never learned to read or write because as oh, a slave, wow. they never taught her that. So all of her, despite like all of her, her know-how, she still signed with that X. Oh. And by the end of her life, she had accumulated almost $300,000, which today would be 7.5 million. Jeez. Ooh. 
And she was one of the richest women in Los Angeles and certainly the richest colored woman west of the Mississippi. Wow. A woman who was enslaved for most of her life and couldn't read most or write. Most of her life. Oh my gosh. Most of her life. It's incredible. Because she was 40. We have no excuse. She was 48 <laughs> no when excuse. she bought that property. When she bought her first property, she was 48. Jeez. When she passed away, she passed away in 1891, and she was one of Los Angeles's greatest philanthropists, and she left her heirs a fortune estimated at $3 million. She, For reasons that aren't explained in any of the sources I found, she's buried in an unmarked grave at Evergreen Cemetery. And oh. I think um, there was some like hubbub in some of the articles about like, because she was a tough shrewd businesswoman, she like, some people did not like her. Like other businesses, like other competitors, like were very... They did not care for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they like would fight her for her sidewalk surprise, space surprise. and all this stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing that what, like why she was marked in an unmarked grave blows my mind. Um, and then it says also in the years after her death that her family kind of started feuding over the land. Mm. And finally, eventually, the Mason property is put in the hands of her grandson, Robert, who eventually became the wealthiest black man in L.A. County. Um, and they held on to the first homestead downtown there until the Depression. And then over the last 30 years, so she kind of got forgotten because she was buried in this unmarked grave. But in the last 30 years, her memory has kind of resurfaced as kind of this icon of the origins of the city of Los Angeles. And in 1988, they, they had a ceremony and put in a, a memorial stone on her grave. Um, and then there's a memorial uh, that's just in a small park right behind the Bradbury building at 3rd and Spring. But they said perhaps the best memorial to Biddy Mason is her own words, which her daughter, her great-granddaughter Gladys said, which is that, quote, if you hold your hand closed, nothing good can come of it. The open hand is blessed, for it gives abundance even as it receives. Oh, I like that. That's really nice. Yeah. So now we got to go to the Bradbury building and that little park, and we got to go... We'll know who Biddy Mason is. For sure. I think there's a whole mural, too, downtown, actually. Like, she's now become this figure of amazement, which, you know, this self-made, formerly enslaved, 48-year-old woman became a property owner and a millionaire. (laughs) That's so cool. That's amazing. I'm sure I've seen that memorial, too, because I I used to drive for Uber, and uh, I've driven on every single street in downtown LA, (laughs) like, a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I've seen it too. If you look at the pictures of it, Chloe, I think you'll you'll recognize it. But mm-hmm. now you know who it's about. Yeah, yeah. so cool. Thank you. God, what an amazing woman. Mm. Yeah, like like truly self-made. True, like the truest. You know, when people today are like, I'm self-made, but my parents donated three hundred million to my, <laughs> my startup. So, but like, she's a woman who worked her ass off and delivered hundreds of babies and mm. invested shrewdly and. And was kind yeah. and generous along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, they weren't, the articles weren't explicit about it, but like I was under the distinct impression that she pretty much just, like she is the reason that the black people of Los Angeles were able to flourish and succeed. Is that she really just, you know, the ha- you know, she just helped them so, so much when nobody else gave a shit, you know, when nobody else cared, she was there helping them out, so... I love her. Love it. I think that's, I think that's about it. 
If you are interested in any of my other work on the internet, uh, you can find my blog at chloejadesky.com. That's sky with an E at the end. Uh, and I also do another podcast with Jupiter Stone called Sky and Stone Do Television, where we cover TV series one one episode at a time. We've covered Euphoria, Watchmen, and right now we're doing Lovecraft Country. So check that out if you're interested. My uh, husband and I wrote a short called Dickie and Bee, and that has been accepted into the Los Angeles Liftoff Festival, which due to COVID is completely online, which is awesome mm. because that means that you can go online. We can all watch it. And you guys can Yay. all watch it. And what's incredibly cool is that the festival is doing a pass. So you can pay a very small amount and you can watch like a week's worth of shorts and independent films and watch it all online. You can vote for things. So check out the Los Angeles Liftoff Festival. And also you can check us out at Dickie and B, which is D-I-C-K-I-E-A-N-D-B-E-A. I will say thank you listeners for being here for... Bridget Biddy Mason, Grandma Mason, Auntie Mason. If you want to support the show, please, please, please leave us an iTunes review. If you don't want to write the text, you can just like leave us five stars. Um, also tell your friends. That's the best way for us to get new listeners. Um, you can always reach out to us directly uh, on Instagram at know or email at know at gmail.com. You also should visit our website, which is Guess, guessed it right, broadsyoushouldknow.com. We've got more details about all our broads and our sources uh, and all sorts of stuff there. We're going to be back next week to tell you about another broad you should know. And until then, you guys have a great week. <laughs>